that we have. Maybe look at a couple other passages. I want you to see some precious things that are found within the Bible, within these pages and these verses. Things that I've enjoyed about this series, we started either in July or August, I can't remember, I think it was August, going through the book of Ephesians, and we've just been going verse by verse, going through the book. And in chapter number two, we read some things today, it talks about, no, we're no more strangers, fellow citizens, we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and it goes into all these things, but if you don't have the verses before it, you don't understand what it's talking about right here. You need all of chapter number two to make sense for those last few verses. And so this morning, we're going to break this all down. Uh, you're going to see some precious things in the Word of God this morning. And I hope that you're ready to pay attention, that your focus is on the Lord for just a little bit, and His Word and what you can get from Him this morning. And it's not about me being up here preaching. It's about the Word of God being lifted up and magnified. And so we see in chapter number two, as we've talked so far, that Paul emphasizes the grace of God and salvation from the very beginning. Verses one through three of chapter number two here, we see that Paul talks about our condition before salvation. Paul says there, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Before salvation, we were dead. Our spirit was dead. That was one of the things that happened at the fall in the garden. Man spiritually that day died but the bible says he's made us alive he's quickened us when we see our condition before salvation is we're dead the bible says then it talks about in verse number four through verse number ten it talks about our salvation and how amazing it is and how our salvation there's nothing that we can do to get our salvation salvation is by grace through faith that's what it says verse number eight for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, all the things we enjoy as Christians today is not because of what we've done. There's a lot in Christianity that tries to be a performance-based Christianity. That's not gospel. That's not Bible. I am a firm believer that Christians should do good works. We've talked about that but our good works don't gain us anything that we have. It's all because of what Christ did for us, that we have what we have, all in all and through all. As we look here, and so verse 4 through 10, talk about this, verse number 12, and the rest of the passage that we've read the past few weeks, it goes back and reminds us before salvation, we were on the outside looking in. We were not the children of God. We talk about the children of Israel being God's chosen people, if you're a Jew in the room, then you're part of God's chosen people, but if you're not a Jew, which most of us aren't, we're Gentiles. And I want you to understand something. Just because you're part of God's chosen people, the Jews, doesn't mean that salvation's any different for you. You can be just as lost and going to hell and be one of God's chosen people just as you can be a Gentile bound to hell. That's the way it is. In our natural condition, we are bound to hell. That's what the Bible teaches. And so were the Jews. You see, they had the law of God, but the law of God does not bring salvation. The whole point is we looked at last week, the reason why we have the law of God, it was our schoolmaster, it was our teacher that taught us of the fact that we need a Savior. Because none of us can keep all the commandments. Let me ask this morning, is there someone in the room who's kept all the commandments and never violated one of God's commandments? If that's you, I'll give you my notes, you preach, and I'll go sit down. Anybody perfect in the room? All right. Me either. None of us are. But the law was there to point to the fact that we needed a Savior. 
Verse 13 through verse number 18, the Bible tells us how Jesus broke down that wall of separation. And of two different ways. He broke down that wall of separation between man and man, between the Jews and the Gentiles. But even more importantly, he broke down the wall of separation between God and man. Sin built that wall between God and man. And Jesus Christ broke that wall down because he died for our sins and paid the ultimate price. So in this passage, chapter number two, Paul goes from telling us how God saved us and brought us together in Christ. Now he moves into describing our relationship with the Lord in verse 19 through 22. And that's what we're going to look at today. You having told, you having looking at all these things, we see several things mentioned here. I want you to see some truths that will help you this morning, and we'll dive right into the outline and get through this as fast as possible. But number one, we see the um, metaphors Paul used. Some metaphors in this passage of Scripture that Paul used to say, what's a metaphor, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. A metaphor is a figure of speech in which one thing is laid over against another thing in order to make a comparison between the two. Do you know who was a master at metaphors in the Bible? Jesus was. Study him in his ministry. And what he did, you think about it, ye are the salt of the earth. There's a metaphor describing how we are. Ye are the light of the world. A metaphor. I am the door. A metaphor. A good shepherd. He used these things to show us who he was. But was Jesus literally a door? No. But he is the only way of salvation. So it's a metaphor showing us, comparing the two. Are we literally salt? It might taste like salt, so I didn't really look at myself. I was teasing there when I did that. Sometimes you might, but we're not salt. But spiritually speaking, we are. So the salt of the, of the earth, it's a metaphor comparing the two for us. And Jesus was a master at it. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I'm the lie of the world. I'm the resurrection and the life. And Paul uses in this passage today three beautifully laid out metaphors for us to describe who we are as the children of God. And these metaphors, metaphors are important because they magnify our relationship with God. Which leads us to letter A. We see the metaphor of a belonging. The metaphor of a belonging. We see right away, verse number 19, now therefore. See those two words? Now therefore. This means consequently or because of this. Immediately, Paul's drawing our attention to what's already been stated previously in this chapter. So what we see here is the first part of this chapter reminds us where we were when we met the Lord. We were dead. We were living to self. We were serving the devil himself. We were wicked to the core. We were outcast from God. We were not his people. We were not a part of his promises. In verse number 12, we were people who were in a deplorable, depraved condition. We were lost in our sins and separated from God and literally doomed and on our way to hell. But then Paul says, because of what Christ has done, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. The word stranger refers to one that's not, or that refers to those who are not of one's family. A foreigner speaks of those who are sojourners in a country that's not their home. A stranger, you think about it as strangers, we're always on the outside looking in. We couldn't fit in. We were not a part of things. Anybody ever been a stranger somewhere? Maybe you went to a new school as a kid, and you were the new kid that no one, you were the stranger in the classroom. Maybe, whatever the case may be. I remember 
shortly after Bible college, the Lord opened up the door for us to move to Montana. And I worked at a church there for three years. I was an outcast in Montana. I was a stranger. Why? Because everything they do there is so different than how we do it here. And they don't like Californians there. Literally, my first day at the church there, a man comes up to me and says, I want to tell you a story. There were four ladies in a car. One lady was from Idaho, from Idaho. One lady was from Iowa. One lady was from California. And one lady was from Montana. They're all driving down the road together. Listen real intense to the story. And he's like, the ladies were talking, which ladies are very good at doing. They were all talking. And as they're talking in the car, the lady from Idaho, she just says, you know, I just can't stand potatoes. It's like all we have is potatoes, potatoes, <laughs> potatoes. We are just, our state's just overrun with potatoes. I hate potatoes. In fact, we don't even have potatoes in the house anymore. I've gotten rid of all the potatoes. Okay, so I'm listening to the story still. Thinking, where is this guy going? Like the other lady was from Iowa. And she's like, I, can't, I despise corn. All we have is corn, corn, corn. It's literally coming out our ears, the corn. And, I just, and we just got rid of all the corn that we had. Okay. And the man, I'm still thinking, I'm like, where are you going with the story, dude? I don't know. Thought maybe, so he's like, and then the Montanan looked at the Californian and kicked her out of the car. They, they want the, the people from the land of the fruits and the nuts to stay in the land of the fruits and the nuts. They like, they like being, they don't want to be overpopulated. Think about this. The whole state of Montana is only, I believe, it's barely smaller than the state of California in size. It's maybe four to five square miles less. It's hardly anything. And there's under one million people in the entire state. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. But that was their feeling. You Californians can stay in California. We don't want you up here. And he was telling a joke. And <laughs> I'm like, real funny. I can tell you what we in California think of people in Montana. We'll save that for another day. But you go ahead, you live up here and live in the middle of all the cold and go ahead and have all the snow and all that and I'll have 90 degree weather in November. <laughs> That's a little extreme. And God, just, I, you know, a couple days is going to be 60 degrees and raining. That's quite a difference in things. And, uh, but anyways, I was a stranger there. Another man came up a few weeks later. Brian, do you own a gun? No. I lived in California and then I was in a Bible college near Chicago. No, I didn't have a gun. You're not a real man. You're not a real man unless you own a gun. I should ask in the room who owns a gun and see what, who, the real, who, the, who aren't real men in the room. I own two now, but one of the first things they did is they bought me a gun. Hunting for me would be grabbing here in California is grabbing the supermarket ad and seeing a good ribeye steak at Stater Brothers, $4.99 a pound. Yes! Yes! It's already packaged. It's good to go. That's good hunting. That's good hunting. And uh, no, good hunting in Montana is you kill your own meat and then you clean it all out and all that. One, one of the men up there said, hey, I, I, I killed a deer and uh, we already have one. I want you to have it. I thought, that's nice. You can, I thought it was going to be all packaged, ready to go. <laughs> he took me into the shed out back and there was this, this thing hanging there and all this meat there. 
how are you going to eat that after you got to do all the work to it? I don't understand. Let's go to the grocery. It was, I was a stranger. You know, the best men in the church, the godly men, the deacons and all of that, first day of hunting season was a Sunday. You would think the godly men would still be in church where they should be, right? They were in the mountains hunting. That's what we do here in Montana. We had church with God in the mountains. Yeah, two or three are gathered in my name. That's what they're saying right there. But they're not praying over anything. They're praying over the meat that they're about to try and get and all of that. But completely different world. You know, we had one lady. She's like, she wanted to get baptized. And we have a nice baptistry that was hot water and everything. I want to be baptized in the Bitterroot River. You understand that that's basically snow water that comes down in there. And it's 30 degrees. 30 degree water. 100 degree water in a church, 80, 90. Even go to the ocean, it's only 60 or something like that. That was the coldest water the pastor ever had to go in. I'm glad I didn't have to go in. But they were just different. Traffic to them in Missoula, the second biggest city in Montana. It was bad traffic because even the whole city, you had Interstate 90 on the outskirts. There was never a soul on there. The one street reserve is the name of the street. And if you had 10 cars in front of you at a stoplight, it was the end of the world. But I'll tell you this, there could be a blizzard. And our church was up on a hill. I mean, my car spun out several times. I, taking a bus up that hill was a, quite a chore too. But it's amazing how many people went to church. But then in California, oh, looks like rain today. I'm sure there are a few people that walked out of their house today. It's windy. My hair might get messed up. Better go back inside. Don't know about these Santa Ana winds. Got to stay away. Just different worlds. I was a stranger there. You know, do you tell your kids to go hang out with strangers? Or do you tell them to stay away from strangers? I hope you tell them to stay away and not to speak to strangers. Strangers are the kind of people you don't invite into your home. You get to know people first before you would do that. Unless you're that type, I'd be careful who you invite into your house. Oh, I saw this guy somewhere and I said, come on in. In our world that we live today, you've got to be careful about all that stuff. Or you might end up on the 6 o'clock evening news. You never know. Strangers, you think about this, are people you're kind of weary of, suspicious of. You get to know them. But I think we all understand what a stranger is, right? The other thing the Bible says here, now therefore you are no more strangers, and it says, and foreigners. So and foreigners, a foreigner, you think about this, doesn't, is, we're in a place that we don't belong. Maybe the country's not ours. We're separated by culture, language, nationality. How many of you like to travel around the world? A few of you in the room. I don't like planes, so it makes it hard for me to do that. But when you go into another country, you don't have all the rights that citizens of those countries have. Unless you come to America legally. But that's another story for another time. That's not, we're getting back to the Bible and sticking there. Sometimes I get myself in trouble. People get after me because, Pastor, you're too political. I'm not too political. I'll mention something else in a minute, I, but I'll save that for a minute. But a foreigner, you think about it, maybe they don't know the language. You know, it'd be hard for me going to another country and understanding what's going on. Ryan, didn't you, for one of the classes you were in, in college, you, went, you lived in Germany for a while, right? For a year. Were you the one who, when you got there, you had to just learn the language? And you, you had, 
someone went somewhere, and it was some class that they had. I can't remember who it was. But literally, they went there, and all they had was this book that had, and they had to, they could not, they had to try and speak with other people. And it's just a hard thing to do. And, but the Bible says, think about this. Hey, you're no longer strangers. You're no longer foreigners. What a blessing that is there. Think about when we came to God, we were strangers. We didn't understand the things of God. We had no clue. We were ignorant of him and all that he could do for us. We were on the outside. We were looking in on the blessings of God and all the things that could be ours as foreigners. Maybe we went to church every once in a while. And maybe you heard a sermon preached. Maybe you heard a hymn sung. Maybe whatever the case may be. But you were sitting there like, what in the world is going on right now? Because that was before your salvation. You were on the outside. You were foreign to it didn't make sense. Before salvation, you step into a church and it's like, what in the world are they doing? Why are they putting money in an offering plate? Why are they standing singing? Why are they listening to a guy rant and rave and talk and do all those things? Why are they, what, what are they doing? It was foreign. But the Bible says here, we're no longer. Because of what Jesus did for us, what God did and what Jesus did, he reached out to us and took us in. Look at what says the rest of that verse. It says, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. That means our citizenship, when we get saved, it's changed. We're members of a new kingdom. Hey, you're no longer a stranger. You're no longer a foreigner. We're in the family. We have a place that we can be a part of. You know, because we're citizens of the United States, we have certain privileges and rights and responsibilities that don't belong to non-citizens. And as citizens, and I believe it's important, you come into a country and you want to live there, you should become a citizen. And that's true. The other thing I also think is we should make it a little, there's a lot of money that goes into people becoming citizens. They should make the process a little bit easier. But not just say, oh, come and have everything you want. There should be a process to all of that. And that's Brian, you say, I don't like that, then just listen as I go a little further in the Bible here, but you've got to understand something. When we were foreigners from God, we didn't have any privileges with God. That's a Bible principle right there, like it or not. Because we've been saved by grace, we've been brought into a new kingdom. We have a new national anthem. It's amazing grace. We march under a new flag, the banner of the cross. Because we're citizens of God's kingdom, we're brought under his protection. And as citizens, we're no longer ignorant of God. As citizens, we come to church and, hey, this makes sense to me. I love to go to church. I love to hear the things of God. I love to sing the songs of God. I love all these things. And we see this first as we get into it, we see this metaphor of belonging. It's mentioned right here. And praise God. As citizens, we're equal footing with the rest of the saints. And we have access to the King of Kings. We see letter A, the metaphor of a belonging. But letter B, we see a metaphor of a birth. The Bible says here, now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but look what it says, but fellow citizens with the saints, and look at the last phrase there, and of the household of God. Not only are we fellow citizens, but we are of the household of God. This means we're not merely uh, members or citizens of God's kingdom, we're members of God's family. We were saved by grace, and as that happened, remember how Jesus told Nicodemus he must be born again? When we were born again, when we were born again, we were adopted out of Adam and we were placed into Christ. That's what, first, or that's what Colossians 1, 
verse number 13 tells us, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. And what happens is not only are we citizens, but we're also sons and daughters of the king. That's a far better relationship, a more intimate relationship than merely being a citizen of a country. As a citizen, I might know about the king. I might be able to meet the king. But as a son, I know the king. The story is told of a king who's holding court in his throne room. His counselors, advisors, noblemen, and the ministers of state were all there. Suddenly, there's a loud banging at the door. Hearing the clatter, all heads turned in that direction. Immediately, the door burst open. And into the room ran a little boy. One of the royal guards tried to stop the boy, saying, Here now, boy, don't you know you're interrupting the counsel of your king? The boy kept running towards the king, and he replied, He's your king, but he's my daddy. And with that, he leaped into open arms of his father. And as children of God, God's children, we have access to the Father at all times. For we are his sons, his daughters. That's why John marveled so much in the great passage of Scripture, 1 John 3, verse number 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. He marveled at it, and we should marvel at that. That we can be God's children. How wonderful it is, what a privilege, what love the Father's given to us in allowing that to happen. Since we're his children, he has our best interests at heart. What touches you touches him. The Bible tells us Luke 12, verse 32. Fear not, little children, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You all that have kids, know it brings great delight to your heart to make your kids happy. As a kid, I used to enjoy getting Christmas presents. I looked at Christmas way different than how I look at it today. Great joy for me at Christmas is seeing a smile on my kid's face and them happy. I'm far from a perfect father. Imagine how your heavenly father feels about you. You're precious to him. You're special to him. Don't ever think that you're not worth anything. You're precious to your heavenly father. And no one could ever replace you. You're wonderful. He loves you. What a good Savior. What a good Father we have. He'll take care of us. Don't you love that? Not only are we citizens of the kingdom, but we're his children. Which leads us to the last metaphor. And we're only on point number one, I know. Point number one takes the longest. Point two and three talk about what we learned in point number one today. So letter C under number one here. We have the metaphor of a building. Not only are we in the kingdom and in the family, but get this, we are a part of his building. The image of a building that is displayed here at the end of Ephesians chapter number two, it's describing the body of Christ of which all the redeemed are a part of. Look there again, look at verse number 19. It says, now therefore, you're no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God. So we've seen we're fellow citizens with the saints, we're of the household of God. Now look at verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom, in whom, who's the whom? 
in Jesus, all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom in Jesus again ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. As citizens, we have a common country. As children, we have a common bloodline. As part of the building, we have an indivisible unity both to God and to one another. The citizens of a kingdom can be divided. Look at our country today. Think about it for a minute. We all share a common citizenship with all other Americans. But we're divided. Some people see things one way. Some people see things another way. This last week, you have on television, you have the impeachment hearings. And I've gotten people mad at me before in church because I mentioned the name Trump. I used to mention President Obama's name in church too. Did I ever say anything wrong and dirty about President Obama? I never did in this pulpit. I do not agree with his policies. But I pray for the man every day when he was in office. I pray for our president today who's in office every day. People should quit complaining and pray for those in leadership. I think that's what 1 Timothy chapter number 2 we're all pray for all that are in authority, for kings and all that are in authority that may lead a peaceful. I think that's what it says, but okay, let's look at this last week. You have two different sides. One says, we're going to impeach you, and literally the words that were used, hearsay. That was used. Hearsay. You have the other side say that that's not impeachable, because here, and then you turn on CNN or you turn on Fox News. I'm just giving, I'm just giving you examples, okay? Just examples. Don't get mad at me. I'm just giving you examples. You could have the proceedings being over for the day, and Fox News will say, man, the Republicans scored a home run today. And then you turn on CNN, and they're like, the Republicans are in trouble. The Democrats did a great job today. It's so divided. And their opinions and all those different things that take place. And you say, well, pastor, I just don't think church is a place that any of that stuff should be mentioned. I'll just give you one little thought, and I'll move off of that. You better be thankful for preachers back in the day that helped form the Bill of Rights that we have today. Our freedom of speech, you look at it and you study history, you'll see there are many preachers that help frame that. And that's truth. I'm not going to tell you which candidates to vote for and things like that. I think that what you should do, let me give you a little suggestion, okay? Here's a pastor's suggestion. This is the foundation of everything that we do. I'm jumping ahead of my message because we're going to get to it in just a minute. But I, we have privilege as citizens of the United States to vote, which means you should vote. You should. It's a, there are a lot of places they wish they could vote. A lot of people who complain about different people in office, you didn't even vote. You shouldn't have a right to complain. But my one vote won't do anything. How do you know? We have a wonderful privilege. You know, I'm not thrilled with who our governor is in the state of California. He was voted in by the people. He was. I pray for him every day that maybe he'll get saved. Say, is he saved? I've never heard him claim to be. Never heard that from him. You have a lot of politicians that claim salvation. You do. I've never heard that from Governor Newsom. Never heard it. But maybe if he got saved, instead of being an outsider looking in, 
God would change his whole outlook on everything. But instead, we just like to badmouth and look at everything and do all these things. How about we pray? We as Christians don't really believe that prayer works. But let me just tell you something. Prayer has the power to change things. Prayer works. Prayer is our greatest weapon in everything that we do, and yet as Christians, we never pray. Think about that one. We're so divided as a country. Citizens of countries aren't, get divided. Hey, keep on reading here, though. As citizens, you see that in a country, you may be divided because there's so many different issues and all these different things. As family members, sometimes you get divided. I'm not going to have you raise your hands, but are you getting along with everyone in your family right now, your immediate family? Is there a sister or a brother that maybe you don't talk to? Maybe you're at odds with one another right now? Or an aunt, aunt so-and-so just wasn't very nice last time we were together? Or you're dreading Christmas coming around because you've got to be around all the family? As citizens, there's going to be divisions. As families, there's divisions there. And let me just give you a little bit of advice here as a Christian. Be good to your families. You don't have to agree with them on everything that they do. But maybe it'd be much better if you prayed for them. This is what happens. I guarantee this. If you spend, there are so many, I just can't stand that person or that family member. And some of you right now, you're thinking of someone. So let me ask you this. Don't say it out loud because I don't want to incriminate anybody in the room. But when's the last time you prayed for them? You don't stay mad at someone very long that you pray for. Because instead of the hatred and the malice and the anger you have, you have a burden for them when you start praying for them. I think Jesus knew what he was talking about when he said the things that he did. Pray for them. That's true Christianity. Okay, it's awful quiet in the room. Citizens can be divided. Family members can be divided. But guess what? The last metaphor, a building. You really don't want a building to be divided. We have a building we're sitting in today. This main part of this room right here was built in 1896. There's no one in this room as old as this main part of this building. If this building decided to have a division and separate, it would not be standing here today. You know, there's probably been a lot of earthquakes this building stood against. But all the things they stayed together, the stones do. If the stones separated, we'd be in trouble. You know, if I went up to this wall and you know, oh, it all stayed together, it's unified. Thank God, what if it were to fall down? Or I pray there was no termite damage right there where I just did that. Could you see, wouldn't that be funny if I just fell through? That was, what a sermon illustration right there for that to happen. That'd be the most awful thing. I remember in high school we met in these trailers, and uh, and it was and I didn't do it, but there was there was a there was a guy in class that might have been a little larger than me, and someone in the class put the chair right on the little tiny hole. He went through the floor, and it was that was not a good thing to happen. But I could just see me jumping, going. That would just be a sermon. You would never forget the sermon if that were to happen. But I know where to do it. Right around here is where the baptistry used to be. There's extra support right in this area right here. I know, I know what I'm doing right here. There are certain parts I would not do it in, but I'm not going to tell you where those are. But you think about this building, it's got to be 
fight together, right? So families divided, citizens can be divided, but hey, if this wall's going to stay looking sharp, a piece of wood can't go off. It's got to stay together. That's what we see in this passage of Scripture right here. You've got to understand something as we look at this. You see, in the building, there's no separation between the stones. They're brought together by the will of the builder and put in place and there to stay. Sometimes those stones were put side by side. Sometimes a stone was placed on top of another stone, whatever the case may be. But what you see is, what you've got to understand is this, Paul's telling us not only are we not strangers and foreigners any longer, we're citizens of the same kingdom. More than that, we're members of the same family. More than that, we are components of the same building, standing together in him with a closeness that's permanent, powerful, and precious. Some parts of that building were Jews. Some parts Gentiles. I came from one place, you came from another we have different paths, we have different abilities, we have different talents, yet in spite of our differences, we have been brought together in Jesus and given unity in him stronger than blood. We've been given a unity that will outlast itself. Kingdoms will fail, families will fail. The building God is building with stones today will stand forever as a testimony of his grace, his power, and his honor. That's what this is all talking about. We've seen three metaphors that have been used. It's already 12 o'clock. Number two. I told you it was 12, so that way you don't have to look at your watch. You already know it's 12, okay? Number two, we see the message that Paul shares through this. Paul uses some words and, and, and tells us some powerful things. Look at this message that he gave. Letter A, there's a message of salvation. The phrase there, are no more, in verse number 19, now therefore ye are no more reminds us of who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. Because of his grace, we're in the kingdom, we're in the family, we're part of the building because of what Jesus did for us. There's power in Jesus Christ. There's power, life-changing power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. An old creature can become new, a new creature in Jesus Christ. There's power there. Thank God that we've been changed. There's a message of salvation, but get this, I love this. There's a message of security. Look at verse number 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, very important, when you build a building, the foundation is key. Now, you look at those tall skyscrapers, Chicago. I, I love the city of Chicago. I love the food there. Didn't love the winter weather, but I like Chicago a lot. Bridget, don't even look at me. Do you like the weather there? Then go back. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. I was kidding. It was just a joke. I need you around here. We need you around the school. I need your help. I love you, Bridget. I was just teasing, okay? Just teasing. She's still giving me the look. No, don't go back. You stay here. I told them not to ever accept you back over there. You got to stay here. There are weird, a few weird people that would take that weather. But one of the things, one of the things I loved was even, and one of the things that was nice about the cold weather, it took care of a lot of that smog and things. And at night, a crisp, a crisp night, the skyline was beautiful. And Chicago, I, I'm, I'm an LA guy. I love LA. I love San Diego. But if I had to pick a skyline, I love the Chicago skyline. It's just, it's, it's beautiful at night. They go near Lake Michigan right there. Anyways, I loved it there, that part of it. 
Anyways, with all of that, those skyscrapers are so tall. And Chicago's called the Windy City. And the way some of those, you could see, you could even see movement. They had the, the foundation long before they ever built a skyscraper anywhere. They're spending years digging down and making a foundation. The foundation's so important. So the Bible tells us the metaphors that were used, yes, we're fellow citizens. We are children of God, and we are part, we're part of a building that God's building. But that building won't add up to anything if it's not built on a proper foundation. Do you see the foundation that it says here? The first it says, we're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And there are those who will say, see, we're built on the foundation of men. That's not what the Bible's saying right here. The apostles, the prophets, what did they do? They gave us the word of God. The sure foundation is this book. That's what it is. The building that God's building is upon the sure foundation of the apostles and prophets. They were given the word of God and they preached it to that generation and it kept passing on and passing on all the way along. People heard it, they believed it, they were saved. They added another stone, the Lord added another stone and as things went on. And we see that the foundation is the word of God. That building that's being built. The other thing that we see, our security also comes from the fact of not only is it built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the word of God, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Do you see that right there? The cornerstone was the most important component of an ancient building. It had to be strong enough to support the building that would rise from it. It had to be placed in the proper place of the building and the building would be measured by it, and you would only build your building based on the size of your cornerstone. If the building was supposed to be square and properly laid out, the cornerstone had to be perfect. The cornerstone was the support, the reference, the unifier of the entire building. It had to be right, or the building would never be right, or the plumbing were likely to fail. Jesus Christ is to the church what the cornerstone is to the building. He is the essential um, component that we need. If we are wrong when it comes to Jesus, if a church is wrong when it comes to Jesus, then everything they build on is a faulty foundation and will not make it. That's why we must get our facts right about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did for us. Because you've got to understand something. Everything we build in a church must be on him. There are a lot of churches out there that are built on traditions and words that people say. Study, study a Catholic church. You say, are you mad at, I'm not mad at, there are a lot of good people that are Catholic. A lot of good people. I have family on my wife's side. A lot of ca strong Catholics. But Catholics believe the words of the Pope and tradition. And those trump to them what even this book says. You try to witness to a Catholic and show them what exactly the Bible says. I'll even take their Bible and show them. But my priest didn't say that. Do you trust the book or do you trust what someone says? Everything built on a man will fail. 
That's why it's so important that a church is built upon Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave his life on the cross to redeem his bride. The apostles, the prophets, took that message to the generation and began to, and began to build up and out from that perfect cornerstone. And from generation to generation, that building's being built and still being built today. That's so powerful when you think about it. We see, so we talk about these metaphors, you see a message of salvation, a message of security, a letter C. We see a message of success. Something we've got to understand as you look there at that verse in verse number 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. Do you realize we're not responsible for building this building of God? If we were, it would be doomed. It says there, look at what it says, in whom? That's Jesus, correct? Is that Jesus? Yes, it is. I'll say it for you. In Jesus, all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. That phrase, fitly framed together, is in the passive voice. What it means is this. It means that another is building the building. He's adding stone upon stone to build his temple for his glory. Our job is to live like a Christian and to love God with everything that we have and to love our neighbor as ourself. Our job is to witness. But at the end of the day, you've got to remember something. He is building the building. Not you, not me. He's building the building. That word groweth there is present tense. It means that the building's always growing. That's what God's doing. Acts 2.47, that's what it implies. The Bible says, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You see, he's the one building the building. So when you got people out there, well, and I'll sit back and do nothing. He uses us. But he's the one building. You've got to be very careful when you witness to people. You can't save anyone. You can't. You will never save somebody. And a lot of times people want to be salesmen. I can get that person. You cannot save anybody. And there are a lot of soul winners out there, good-hearted people, that will do the work of the Holy Spirit. And truly, if the Holy Spirit's not working in the situation, I don't see how someone can truly be saved. Because a dead person cannot get to God. The Holy Spirit comes to them. He makes them alive. He's the one who convicts them. It's very powerful when you stop and think about that. But then some people, well, that I just sit back and do nothing. No, you're his ambassador. You're a co-laborer together with Christ. You know, Paul said, you know, Apollos, water, I planted, God gave the increase. It's a process to it all. And praise God, we get to be a part of those things. But church, you can never forget it's Christ who saves. It's the Holy Spirit. You know, next week when we have people come on Saturday, I'm going to be in here. I'm going to be witnessing. I cannot save anybody that comes into this room next week. I can give them the gospel. And if they, if the Holy Spirit of God works on them, they can be saved. I can't do it. Sometimes we get weary in the work of God. The Bible says, unless not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. we got to remember is the success of church is not dependent on me. He builds it. As a pastor, sometimes that, that's hard for me. 
you know, I am not one of those. I'm not a guy that wants thousands of people under my ministry so I can go out and report. Thousands of people were at church. That's not what it's about. But do you realize this morning how many empty seats there are in this service? Last service, there were empty seats. Do you realize how many people could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ if they would just come? I would love to add a third service, add a Saturday night one, add five, six services, whatever the case may be. And sometimes I look and I'm like, man, what can I, and it's like, he builds. What did Jesus say? I will build my church. Praise God we get to be a part of it. But he's the builder. Don't ever lose sight of that. And so we see these things here. There's a message of success and successful because it's the Lord who does it. We've seen these metaphors this morning, the fact of belonging, that we who were strangers and foreigners are now fellow citizens. We've seen the fact that not only is there belonging, but we're a part of God's family. He welcomes us in when we get saved. And then we're part of God's building. Point number three, and we'll be done here in just a couple minutes. We see the miracle that Paul describes. In this building that God in his grace is constructing, and constructing, there's a few miracles I want you to see. Letter A, the miracle in our redemption. When a builder is building a building, he chooses the material he uses. Bible says in chapter number one, he chose us, correct? So some people will say, well, see, God picks and chooses who he loves. No, 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 no. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves everyone. The Lord is not willing that any should perish. It's not a limited atonement, as some Calvinists believe. It's an unlimited atonement. It's for all, whosoever will may come. Gospel is what we have. And praise God for it. But before the foundation of the world, he knew who would choose him and choose salvation. And he chose us before the foundation of the world. That's why Jesus died for us. Think about our redemption. God in his grace, for his own reasons, reached down to us and brought us unto himself and redeemed us, bought us back. I do not know why God loves me. I don't know why he chose me to be a part of his building. I don't understand why he died on the cross and shed his blood for me. But this is what I've got to understand. I don't have to understand it all. I can praise him and rejoice in what he's done for me. The miracle of our redemption, letter B, the miracle in our rehabilitation. <laughs> I love this. This is one of my favorite parts of the whole message right here. When the builder reached out and picked up a stone, sometimes the builder would have to take that stone and shape it to fit perfectly where it needed to go. You see, the builder would take his hammer and he would chisel off parts of the stone, reshaping the stone to make it just right so it could fit in its place. That's what Jesus did with us. When we came to Jesus and got saved, we were a mess. Yes, and if you don't agree you were a mess, then I just don't know. Since that moment... The Lord's taken us that stone. He's been chipping away at pieces of it. 
you know, they're not quite where they need to be. They're not quite what I want them to be. You say, well, what are you talking about? That's what Romans 8, 28, and 29 are all about. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Verse number 29 says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. God's ultimate goal is to shape us and conform us the image of Christ. Chipping away, the process is not very pleasant all the time, but the end result is well worth it. Every setback, every annoyance, along with the good things and pleasant things, are part of God's building process. He takes us, he finds us, and he remakes us into his image. And look at what it says in our text in verse number 21 it says in whom all the buildings fitly framed together groweth unto what look at this a holy temple in the lord he's not building a pile of dirt or a pile of dirty messed up stones he's building a beautiful temple called the body of christ where he takes us misfits takes us and cleans us up. Chips some things off. Like that's the perfect spot for you right there. That's what he's doing. He's building something. When the building's complete, every stone will be in the proper place. And every one of them will look like they belong in the building. And then let her see, lastly, the miracle in his residence. According to verse 22, it says, In whom in Christ again ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So verse 22 there says, We're builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. And the miracle here is that when we get saved, we become, as the Bible talks about in 1 Peter 2 5, we become lively stones. We're not dead rocks. We're made alive because the Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. And we are made the temple of the Holy Ghost. Think about that one. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 13, I know, I've been very good at paying attention. We're just about there. But don't miss the end here, okay? For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. The Bible tells us in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, actually chapter 3, go to that one first. Sorry, 3 verse 16. Know ye not, they are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temples ye are. Chapter 6, verse number 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. You see, the moment of salvation, and when those things take place, we see the Holy Spirit comes to live inside, and we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Habitation refers to, in our text there, a permanent dwelling. He comes into our lives and transforms us into his temple. What a blessing that is. You see, he takes us as individuals and makes us part of a larger spiritual temple he's building in the world. I believe in Jesus Christ. Thus, I am the temple in which he dwells. I am also a living stone in the building, the church, the body of Christ 
that he's building. And as such, I'm united with every other believer as part of the holy temple to the glory of God. God builds up his church out of dead stones of this world so that he can receive all the glory and the honor. That's the miracle that takes place. You also see, you notice that we're called a holy temple. God saved us and set us apart from the world. Nothing glorifies him as much as when his temple brings honor and glory to his name. Man said it like this, through the blood, the suffering flesh, the cross, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, aliens become citizens, strangers become family, idolaters become the temple of the true God, the hopeless inherit the promises of God, those without Christ become one in Christ. Those far off are brought near, and the godless are reconciled to God. Therefore is the reconciliation of men to God and of men to men. You see, this morning gives you reason to praise him. You're no longer an outsider, a stranger, and a foreigner. Hey, you're a fellow citizen. You're a child of God. You're part of his building. A building needs to be unified. Catch me very carefully what I say right here, and don't misconstrue what I'm trying to say. Because people are very good at misconstruing things at times, and that's not, I need you just to catch this real quick. I believe in a local church. I'm a local church guy. I believe that's biblical. But when the Bible talks here about a building being built, it's all those who have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. It is. You can look at it any way you want to, but that's what it is. I heard just the other day some young people talking about an old evangelist. They were tell someone told me about it, and they're talking about Billy Graham was the example. And uh, I'm not. There are a lot of things about Billy Graham. He kind of the movement and the way that he went towards the end of his ministry, I don't agree with everything that he did. And I don't think he was biblical in all the things that he did. But I'll tell you this. I don't know of a man that led more people to Jesus Christ in a very long time than Billy Graham. The other thing I want you to understand is this. I have doctrinal differences with the man. But if he's a safe child of God, which I believe he was, I'm a saved child of God. We're part of the same building. That's Bible truth. Baptists don't like that, but that's Bible truth. And with the truth that's there, it doesn't matter. Let's say someone, you say, well, so-and-so, they just aren't, they just aren't the Christian I am because they don't go to a Baptist church. There's a reason why I'm a Baptist. And I could sit you down for a long time and explain to you why I'm a Baptist. Doctrine's the reason. But if someone believes in Jesus Christ the scriptural way and is a saved person of God, child of God, they're part of that building. There's no denying it. And we critique and we are so spiteful at other people. You know, and I've heard, I've heard Baptists, and this is not me, I just can't stand Calvary Chapel. I've heard that. They just make church so laxed and blah, 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 blah. If they're getting people saved, 
what are we fighting them for? Now, if someone doesn't believe right on Jesus, there is no common ground because you're not part of his building if you're not founded on Jesus Christ. But a lot of times we're fighting the wrong enemy. Let's go fight the devil. Yeah, let's fight him. We don't need to fight one another. Let's bring it down even lower. Fellow brothers and sisters in Christ saying in the room this morning, why are we fighting with one another? We're part of a body. That's why Jesus said, this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. There are far too many Christians nitpicking at things that other Christians do. And don't get me wrong, I am, I'm a Baptist for a reason and I stand on doctrine, okay? I do. I say it doesn't sound like it in what you're saying. Why don't you just pray and get right with God and worry about yourself to do that? We're missing it. Because someday we're going to get to heaven with all these people that we can't stand here on earth and we're going to be together. People look at the church, they look at different churches and they're like, why can't they get along? Now, like I said, if they're not preaching the gospel, there is no common ground. Their foundation's faulty. It's not the same building. Jesus Christ is what brings it together. If a person is saved by grace through faith and they're not a Baptist, they're still part of the building. They are. I know that, that probably somewhere someone doesn't like that, but you can take it up with God. It's his book. You, actually, you asked Paul in heaven about it too. He wrote these words under inspiration. Let's love one another and get along. Stand up for what's right. I get it. And this morning, when's the last time you just praised him for the fact that you're not on the outside looking in? If you're saved today, when's the last time you just said, Lord, thank you? When's the last time you just cried out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee? Holy, holy, worthy is the lamb that was slain. When's the last time you praised him? If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you're a stranger. You're a foreigner. The only way to remove those tags from you. You see, isn't it interesting with God? He doesn't just say, oh, everyone can just come on in, come on in. You can come in, but it's through Jesus Christ and no other way. If you're a stranger and a foreigner today, guess what? God will let you in. His son paved the way so you could. And all you got to do is put your faith and trust in him. And you don't have to be a stranger. You don't have to be a foreigner this morning. You can be a fellow citizen. You can be part of God's family. And you can be part of the building that God's trying to build. What a blessed life we have as Christians. It's so good to be a Christian. I'd rather be a Christian than anything else. He's been so good to us. Father, I thank you for the time we've had together in your word.